0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is an episode of Madcap DC. My name is David Ross. And
1: I'm Daniel Bloom.
0: Today our guest is Carl Jones, creator and executive producer of the television series Black Dynamite on Adult Swim. Black Dynamite, starring the Kung Fu Master played by Michael Jai White, is a character adapted from the popular 2009 exploitation spoof directed by Scott Sanders. Black Dynamite, is one badass Negro who kicks a lot of ass and has an insatiable desire for
1: black vagina. This is part one of our conversation with Carl Jones. I want to tell you a story about a friend I've had. He's a mean motherfucker and he's super bad.
2: Dynamite is a series that's based on um a, a, a film that came out not too long ago starring Michael J. White, um also uh Kim Whitley, Tommy Davidson, and uh, Byron Mens, who also, you know, voiced the same characters on the on the TV show. Don't forget but, uh, Arsenio it was Hall. Basically, oh yeah, yeah, Arsenio Hall. I mean, yeah, there was woo, 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 woo. man, Brian McKnight. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh um, Brian McKnight.
2: Well it's funny though, because I, I I got a hold of a copy, like a, a bootleg copy of the movie before it before it came out. Uh, this is when I was working on Boondock season two. And, and I remember when I saw it, I was thinking to myself like, yo, this would make a really dope animated series. And literally like two weeks later, the the, uh, the production company that produced the film reached out to my manager um, and they wanted to try to turn it into an animated series. So um, so I met with Michael J. White and, and Byron and, and we start kicking around some ideas. And, you know, we talked to uh, Scott Sanders, who also directed the film. And, um, you know, I started putting some stuff on paper, man, and I already had a relationship with Adult Swim. So, um, you know, I took it over to them and explained to them what the show was, who Black Dynamite is, and and they saw the film, they loved it, and it kind of went from there.
0: What was that first writing session like?
2: The first session, man, you know, it was... um, I mean, it, well, you know, it's funny because when we first, the first pilot was actually a, a, an 11 minute pilot. Okay. You know, it was, uh, it was. I, mean, I think they aired it on Adult Swim. It was um, uh, Trouble on Puppet Street, <laughs> and um, you know, we, we were just trying to find, you know, a story that was kind of, you know, conducive to the to the to the world and and in that era, and that was, you know, that it was far out enough that it would actually call for a reason to be animated and. I felt like, you know, doing something with puppets was just kind of like the perfect, you know, route to go. So, you know, I wanted to do a parody on Sesame Street. So we started kicking around some ideas. And, and uh, you know, I mean, the the, write, the the writing process is the same with, with, with all the episodes, man. It's just, you know, it's, it's fun. I mean, you know, it's I mean, we're all like family when we get together. And, and you know, we, we, we kind of start with, sometimes we start with a funny idea and then try to create a story around the funny idea. Sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes we actually come up with, an idea, of something that I, something that I might want to say, and then try to find the jokes and, and, and the funny around the story. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah you you can't um, you can't just say puppet and not say who played the puppet. You got
2: you got. Oh yeah yeah J, yeah JB Smooth <laughs> yeah yeah I got JB Smooth to uh to to play uh basically the Kermit the frog. No, it's that King
0: Pimp Curtis now mother, f- Ribbit mother f- Ribbit. Yeah
2: yeah he killed it man. Um, well yeah, it was just, you know, Black Dynamite had to go down the go down the puppet street and 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 take and take down this this uh parody of of, of Kermit the Frog who is basically gone rogue and turned into this the supervillain pimp. You know, that's that's pimping all the kids.
0: <laughs> you know, I think it's time for Big Black Dynamite to learn a little lesson. Listen and learn Black Dynamite cuz that Frog Curtis is a stud-up pimp. Ribbit! Ribbit! on TV. Yeah, raising these yeah. damn kids are free. Mama gets my, my green from hustling. Mom, is skinny, but I'll slap your face. Seduction, seduction. Have the power of persuasion. Give me a kid.
2: Yeah, a robber, yo- yeah, it was crazy, man. Like we, you know, that's the that's the beauty of the show, man. Doing the animators that we can go so many places that that you know. That the film just wasn't able to do, and and most of the jokes in the film were usually about the genre itself. So like you found like the boom mic jokes and and you know all the mm. bad filmmaking jokes were in the movie, but we kind of took it another direction with the show. Like with the show, I wanted to actually just you know I, I didn't want the comedy to come from 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 you know from the parody of the genre because. You know, when you're doing an animated, it doesn't necessarily read the same anyway? Like when you make a when you make a mistake intentionally with a live action film, it's easier to accept that. Like when you watch it as an animated, when you watch an animated effect, I mean, a mistake, it looks like we just fucked up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So,
0: yeah. why is it easier to push the line with cartoon characters in terms of dialogue?
2: When you say push the line, what do you mean? I mean, I that-
0: mean like take was, more risks. Yeah, take more take more risks with just what you say, just in terms of language.
2: Oh oh, oh, I see well, I don't know, I mean, I think just the idea of using animated characters kind of kind of buys you a little bit more because it's you know it takes it maybe a step further outside of reality, like I don't know, I mean, I mean, to be honest, we don't get away with as much stuff as I'd like to get away with, like you know when you when you see shows like like you know South Park and you see the type of stuff that they do on South Park. I, I get the reason why they're able to do it is probably because they're even more cartoony than we are. Like when you look at Black Dynamite, I mean, that's it, it's a cartoon, but it's really drawn like real people. Like, I mean, it looks he looks lot. like
0: Michael Jai White. He looks like him.
2: Yeah. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? So it's even closer to reality than than, you know, say a show like South Park. So I think the further you push it away from like real people, I think, you know, the more you can do. But uh, but I, you know it also depends on the network. But you know, those one has been pretty cool, man. I mean, they let us get away with with, with a lot of, so I can't complain, you know. But I'm always trying to push it even further. What happened? That, a lot of stuff that you haven't that you haven't seen.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that. Like, what <laughs> what haven't we seen? Like, what haven't we seen? You can say it now because oh, there are no visuals.
2: Dude, we had I had a okay. I had, all right, there's a couple fights. That yeah, that bring it. Um, so no, one of them, one of them was uh, well we, you know, we started out with a little bit of fight on the. There was a fight about the black bar, you know, like because we were using the black bar, obviously, to cover up the penises. And back in the seventies, they used to use the censorship bars, anyway. So the, the problem with it is the the black bar is not too far away from a black penis. <laughs> <laughs> and I
0: think y'all knew that going in.
2: <laughs> right, of course we did. So,
0: Slightly um, more
1: square, I imagine. <laughs> yeah.
2: So that was one of then we had another one man with uh, Crenshaw Pete. We had this scene in the Players Ball Express with with when we introduced Crenshaw Pete, and he had a hot coat hanger, and he was smiling as he was dipping one of his holes right in his arms, and he had the he had the I had the uh, he had the hanger pressed up against the face with like this. We had like the smoke kind of coming from her face, and they were like, you can't. You can't do that. I'm like, wait a minute. We just we just had, we, wait, we just had Michael Jackson moonwalkers with his little brother ass. We can't put a hot, a hot coat hanger to a bitch? And it, and it was like, no. So I said, all right, okay, well, how about we just cut to a close-up shot of her face with the word Crenshaw Pete on it? Sizzle it. And they were like, hell no, you can't do that either. It's just, so you got like, to bargain, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, you might have to give up a couple of dicks for so branding or <laughs> something like that you know we go back and forth with it man
0: how does that even work but, do you, do you so how does that even work out like uh, say the script's written uh you and i guess the animation is created and then you present to the network and then they they're like okay we'll do this
2: well you know what? they they see the every stage of the, of the of the production like they see the scripts they see the rough they see the rough scripts they see the final scripts they see the animatics they even get the radio plays before Before it gets to animatic. And animatic is is like uh, storyboards strung together like a movie. Yeah. So they can get an idea of how everything plays out. But the problem is this. You know, I, I'm, they they know I'm, I'm I'm notorious for adding stuff in at the last minute. So, so even if they clear, they, they they can sign off on a script, they can sign off on an animatic, but they know that the final delivered show that they get, there's going to be about three or four things that i stuck in there. <laughs> so, so, they, so everything that they look at, they look at it with a fine cool, a fine tooth comb, man, and they make sure like it's it's you know. But like I said, they let us do a lot. I don't want to make it sound like they you know. I mean, but they because. We do get, I mean, look, we get away with murder anyway, like, you know, but I'm just always pushing it even further just to see, just to see where the line, see how far I can push the line back.
1: Now, Cartoon Network is in the Turner family of networks, correct? Yes. So are your bosses in, are your bosses in L.A.? Are they in Atlanta? Who are you dealing with here?
2: Um, Well, uh, while I was dealing with uh, Widenfeld, who was the development executive at Adult Swim, um, he was actually in L.A., and then uh, he left for Adult Swim, and um, now Walter Newman is actually uh, took his place. I don't know if you know Walter. He was actually an executive at Comedy Central for a long time. Um, oh, real cool okay. brother, man. Real smart. You know, he's kind of like so. He's the guy that's kind of over our show.
0: When um, you say brother, and, you do know, you mean African American or like a brother, just like a brother?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs>
0: like a brother in arms or a, bro- a, brother, a brother, brother of a secret
3: society. In Christ. <laughs> <laughs> no, <I'm kidding.
2: laughs> it's Hysterical. But oh, Wait, yeah, so, yeah. He's, he's, he's kind of the guy that we, um, that's the guy that we go to. You so,
0: so you are part of the Turner family. So how does it feel to be uh, part of the Turner family with Tyler Perry as well?
2: <laughs> Hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I don't,
0: Alex Cross, I, don't, I mean. I don't really. Cross.
1: Good afternoon, detective. Am I calling at a bad time?
3: That depends. Are you calling to tell me where you are so I can hunt you down like a
1: rapid dog? Oh, that's good. I can feel that. I mean, you look so numb at the funeral today. But now the pain's really starting to flow, isn't it? Here's another emotion for you
3: It's pleasure. The pleasure I'm gonna get when I watch your soul come oozing out of your body, you
1: maggot. Well, Confucius said, "When setting off on the path of revenge, dig two graves." That's fine with me as long as you're in one of them.
2: You know what's funny? I will tell you a funny story. Mike, Michael Michael White. We were both going to be in Atlanta. It was I forgot what was happening, but he had something going on in Atlanta. I think he might have been actually shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he, so he was. Yeah, he was shooting, and I was going out to. Atlanta, because Adult Swim is based in Atlanta. I was going out there to have a meeting, and Mike was like, oh, well, since you're going to be in Atlanta, you might as well come out of set. And uh, you know what? As a matter of fact, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you know what? I'll meet you somewhere, because, uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> Tyler is still kind of pissed about that Boondocks episode.
0: Did you write that so, Boondocks episode?
2: Man, it was a collaborative effort, man. Um, tell tell know, the people it, what
0: happened it, in that episode. Tell the people what happened in that Boondocks episode. Well,
2: well, 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 well basically, man, um, you know, we we wanted to do something with Tyler Perry. And uh, <laughs> it, it was, <laughs> I don't want to say any names, but it was a friend of ours. It was somebody that actually worked on the show okay. that auditioned. That audition, he was an actor. He auditioned. To, you know what, fuck it, I'll say it. <laughs> it you know, I don't know. Jerry Anthony Williams, who plays Uncle Ruckers. He, yeah. actually, he actually had an audition to star in some, some, I don't know if it was a movie or it was a play it was it was something with tyler perry so he went through this process of uh like i guess all the actors kind of had to go through this process where they audition and then get called into a second audition and if they do good with that they get called into a third audition so forth and so on so one of the audition phases he was at tyler perry's house and everyone around him was saying well if you if you get called back to his house then you're absolutely going to be in the movie like he wouldn't call you back to his house he wouldn't invite you here for this if you weren't going to be in the movie so what happened was during, somewhere in between the second audition at his house, they did a big prayer. Like they did, did like a big circle prayer. And he, so, so Gary, so Gary was like in the prayer and he was like looking around like, yo, this, this shit is really crazy, right? So what, what happened was he, he, he comes to find, he, he finds out that he didn't get the role. And he, so he's calling people like, yo, what happened? You said if I can make it back to the house, I'm in the movie. And so he, he didn't get a call back. So, someone informed him that Tyler Perry records these prayer services. Oh,
1: what? <laughs> That's Kennedy style right there. Did he keep his eyes open?
2: Wow. Right?
3: wow.
2: <laughs> so he So, so he could have saw that he wasn't completely down <laughs> or, you know, maybe he wasn't so close to Jesus as he needed to be and then give him a call back. So, anyways, we thought it was hilarious. And, and so, you know, we started... We we went in, man. We did this show and <laughs> we put it out, and we basically, you know, had Tyler Perry as like a, you know, he was like, he was like a gay Christian theater cult leader. Hello, how do you do? We're so glad you joined our crew.
3: Welcome to our lovely compound, where it all goes down: hot boiled bananas and cream. Why do you? Stream. Anything is possible with Jesus on our team. You know, well, Jesus gave me a vision to make plays and dress like women, to wear corsets and be a Big girls with a lot of padding in them. If I step in, I know you have suspicions, but I'm all man. Trust me, we position. positions. You know, I
2: <laughs> and, uh, and he was. It was. It was. It was pretty. It was pretty. I don't know. It was pretty rough, man. And and he got really pissed about it. He actually called the network, and he had choice words with them. And eventually, um, I believe they pulled it. I think they pulled it. I, I think they stopped airing it after. That. I think they aired it one time, and and that was it.
0: DVDs, baby. That's what it's on the DVD. Right? Yeah. Gotta be online somewhere.
1: <laughs> it's definitely online. Does it feel good to piss somebody off I can't like that I told in such you. a? That,
2: that's a- you know, that's the first time that story actually—I don't, I don't think anybody knows. I can't believe I even said this. I told you guys that because no one even knows that. Like, we never—we never, <laughs> never actually—I just snitched on Gary and said that he's never going to ever work for Tyler Perry again in his life.
1: And all we have to what say— What do you mean again? <laughs> he had his chance to hire him. He didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll hire him. <laughs> exactly. That, that,
0: that's that's, a, that's an awesome story. I, I don't want to uh, get away from Black Dynamite, but I, uh, I must comment on the fact that you were the voice of Thugnificent, correct? wow yeah. the story of thugnificent begins here in the projects of Bell, georgia one of the poorest and toughest towns in the country Bell leads georgia in homicides infant mortality aids and everything else bad
2: yeah you know in latin they say Bell means beautiful earth but in georgia Bell means fucked up place to live terrible Bell, yes sir that's our name for it now this right here is where i grew up i seen everything man everything I seen a nigga get killed right over there, you know? They beat him up, stomped him, shot the dude, stomped the nigga again, and then I seen him take a dump on the dude. I swear to God, man, they actually, like, shot a deuce on this nigga, man. You know what I'm saying? They shot on the nigga, man. And I started thinking to myself, man, what did he do to make them niggas that mad?
0: That was a pivotal role. In the Boondock series, yeah. one of my one of my favorite characters. Tell me about being Thugnificent, because Thugnificent was all over the later part of the series.
2: Yeah, you know what it was, man. Like we we really just took a look at the at the rap game and, and just kind of seeing where it was at, and, and there was no one that was. I mean, no one was doing any any type of commentary on 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 you know the state of rap. And right now, like you see all of these guys. Well, well, not now, but then you saw all of these guys who were supposed to be gangster rappers. And, and, and you know, at the end of the day, you know, it, I mean, you know, for half of the stuff they were talking about, they weren't really living. So it was like, you know, we thought somebody should shine a light on it. And so we did a story about a guy who, pretty much, you know, in his music, was, you know, the, he was, you know, he's the, the most gangster rapper that you could ever meet. But behind closed doors, he, he really wasn't that guy, you know. And and you know, there was there was different parts of Thug Nation. I mean, like you know, as you saw, you know, eventually, like the stories progressed where you know, he eventually stopped uh, selling so many records, which is, is what happened in the rap industry. Like a lot of rappers didn't make the money that they used to make because it's so saturated now that he, he had to go back to doing the things that he talked about doing, which was selling drugs. Which he never actually did before. So he had to go on, Wikipedia, <laughs> go on Wikipedia to find out what the what the what the risk Crack, you know what I'm saying? Because all of this shit he talked about, now he's got to live. Because he always said, like, if this don't work out, I'm going to go back to the street. And (laughs) a lot of these niggas never actually been in the street. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So it was kind of like, you know, we just wanted to do some commentary on that, man, and kind of just shine a light on the hip hop world because it was so, I mean, it was just so much comedy, man. So much, I mean, all the internet beats and stuff that was going on between, like, like uh, uh, I don't know. you saw the Soldier Boy and, and Ice <laughs> yeah, T. Yeah, going on at the time.
0: <laughs> how do those two even know that, that one silly. another exists? Like Soldier Boy and Ice T. I don't even understand how Ice T even found Soulja out.
1: Soldier Boy. Saw him on VH1. Him. I
0: forgot about that. Well,
2: that's 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 the thing about the internet. Like the internet brought that beef together. Like there's no other place that there's no other way. It is, they would never run in the same circles. They would never ever see each other in person. Like it's it's the that's the weirdest thing about the internet, man. Um, I mean, Ghostface, because we, we did a little thing with Thug also where, he, where his records wasn't selling, and, and he had took it out on his fans. And, and we got that from Ghostface, because I don't know if you remember, there was a time where Ghostface, where Ghostface put out an album, and he had, like, like these gazillion followers on MySpace, but it, but he only sold, like, 30,000 copies. And so he made a video, and he just started going in on <laughs> yo know, How the fuck I got this many friends, and none of y'all niggas bought my album? <laughs> <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So like we we look at stuff like that. We're like, yo, we got to do something about that. Like that's just it's too funny, man.
0: You but you have to admit that Thugnificent had one of the greatest uh, rap entourages. I mean, who was in it? You had Buster Rhymes in it. You had yeah, Snoop. You had, you had Busta Rhymes and Snoop. Now, now, yeah, Nate Dogg, God rest his soul. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Nate Dogg. Yeah, he did the um, he did the F Granddad song. It it was fun, man. I mean, Snoop, working with Snoop, man. Snoop is. Snoop is ridiculous, man. Like, he's so, he's so, I mean, I mean, you know, he's a great rapper, but, like, he's a really, really good actor. Like, yeah, I don't think he gets enough credit, man. Like, in, in the booth, like, he's like, like, one take. Like, he always, he just kills it every time. Like, he's 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 solid, man. And Buster Rhymes, well, you know, well, Buster Rhymes, for the very last episode we had him in, he couldn't make it. So we actually had to replace it. I don't know if you caught that, but it was another one. We had we had to bring in a Buster Rhymes impersonator. Um,
0: <laughs> I, I don't think I, I don't <laughs> think I noticed. I thought it was Buster yeah. Rhymes the was Buster Rhymes the one who actually he, he's not the one who ended up getting the job. No, it was another somebody else got a yeah. job. Whoa. Yeah,
2: yeah, Busta Rhymes. He, he he ended up getting the job. He, he, um, he ended up getting the job. and He tried to hook Thug Nificent up. Thug Nificent went in and he fucked it up. <laughs>
0: who does the music for the show? Because the show has a great uh, score.
2: Well we, we use a um we got like this crazy extensive seventies library that we use and then um a lot of the original cues in the show are done by AJ. I don't know if you if you know Adrian Young, who also composed the music on the movie. Um he's he's bananas. called the black dynamite orchestra <laughs> and um awesome. yeah they're they're, they're they're amazing man he's using like a reel to reel like he's using everything they used in the 70s
1: can't fight the feeling bad. cause you know what she want feel.
2: That's why this shit sounds like real seventies <laughs> music. Like, like he doesn't use anything. Like, if you, if you, if I even, because ask, I asked him about like certain, you know, sounds and stuff like it, he's like, dude, they they didn't do that in the seventies. Like, he's such a, you know what I'm saying? Like, he, yeah. he's such a, like, you know, I mean, he's like a seventies head. He like, he, I think he's he's like really caught in a time warp. Like everything he does is strictly like the way they did in the seventies, but then it gives it that authenticity that you need, man. Because like when you watch the movie. I, I, I mean, the first time I saw the movie, I was convinced that it was shot in the seventies. Man, like it looked that good. It sounded, it sounded like real. Like you heard the crackle in the in the in the records, and, and you know what I'm saying. And like,
3: yeah,
0: he just yeah, had
2: that, you know. And that, and, that, and he, that's what he does, man. Like he's, you know, he's a pro, man.
0: I was, yeah, I was, I was so confused when I saw the movie because I recognized the actors. Somebody had, like giving me the DVD. Of course, the the footage and the sound just sounded dead on for a black exploitation film. But I do want to move. I want to ask you a question. What? How do? How is the show Black Dynamite perceived by Black women? Like, would you watch this show with Michelle Obama sitting next to you? That's
2: hilarious. You know what, man? People ask me all the time, and, and you know, I, I, if you really look at the essence of our show, it's it's really not about pimps and holes, and 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 even though like the world is is, is colored that way, it, it's it's not like you never see. The whores whoring like you never see Black Dynamite actually being a pimp. You know, um, the, the show itself is about a, a, a family. It's a you know it's a dysfunctional family that's trying to work through these different trials and tribulations, and they are put in different situations. But you know, it, it's is so we we kind of turn the black exploitation world into its own universe, and in doing so, you have pimps and hoes, but you but we don't play them up like that. Like you know, and and that was that was the whole point of the show. Like I wanted to do something that was really that was really smart, and that was really, um, you know, true to the, to, the, to the era, but we didn't focus on so many negative aspects. Because what you got to understand is that when you look at old movies like Shaft, right, those movies weren't necessarily black exploitation films. And in any movies that you've seen Pam Grier in, she always played a superhero. Like, she was no joke. She carried around guns, and she was, like, knocking niggas out, kicking people in the face. Like, you know, she was, she was no joke. And, and, and you rarely see a female, a black female lead. That has that type of power. So for me, when you when you look at a character like Honeybee, I think women should be happy that they have a a main number one. She's a main a main character who actually is not taking shit from anybody, a man or a woman. You know what I'm saying? And she's very she's very strong. She's um and and she looks good. You know what I'm saying? Like how often do you see that? You know, so you know, because like, you know yeah, the language is colorful and there's a lot of you know. A lot of bitches, hoes, and you hear all of that, but we don't really portray the women in the show that way. You know what I'm saying?
1: Are you at all worried about the idea of? I mean, I know it's a popularly already kind of established trope, kind of the pimps and hoes thing. But do you worry at all about implicitly aggrandizing the place of the pimp in society, maybe like as it's traditionally been done?
2: No, nah, I mean that is no, nah, it doesn't bother me at all. See, like like I said, you know, it's it to me, it's all about the way you execute the idea because. In in my mind, like the way I, the way I look at the pimp game, especially in the context of that era, the way I look at the pimp game, to me, that was the first liberation of the black man. Like you know, you could put it, it, you can have, you can have differences with it because of the morality of a man actually pimping a woman and putting on the street or whatever. But if you look at the, if you look at it in the proper context, you'll see that at that in that era. That's all. I mean, what else was there to do? You know what I'm saying? Like, we were, we, you know, I mean, I mean, in the black community, I mean, our superheroes were the drug dealers because they were the ones that were t- of their own destiny. Our superheroes were the pimps and the hustlers, you know, because they were the ones that weren't taking shit from the man and they made their own money, you know, by way of their own people. So
0: and they beat like, up white people. They beat up white people. Very important. And, and they
2: did beat up a lot of white people. <laughs> did. And, and you know what's funny about that time? Like, no one ever, there was never any cops around. <laughs> like, when they, in the black community, they were taking people's heads off, shooting people in the street. You never saw a cop at all. <laughs> it was just...
0: Much different than now.
2: Right, right, right.
0: <laughs> so, you all just wrapped up shooting season one, correct?
2: Yeah, yeah, we just we just wrapped, man, so, uh, a couple weeks ago.
0: When do you all start breaking out the the lesson plan for season two?
2: That's a good question, man. I, I I actually don't I actually don't know. I don't have the answer to it. But I I mean I know they're interested, you know. Um, and you know we have had like some, you know we had we had some kind of small talk about it, but nothing nothing has been uh, nothing's in, in, in stone yet. You know, some stuff that has to be still figured out.
0: What are the typical breaks that you all are allowed? What's the schedule like when you first develop the series and then it airs and then till next season? What like what what are the hours working with?
2: Oh man! I, well, okay. <laughs> well, let me let me. Well, I'll start here. Um, a typical season for us is uh, a little over a year and a half to produce, and that's you know, and wow. that's like rough. That's roughly you know, ten episodes, right? Now, once once that's done, I mean, I I personally have never had a hiatus before. Like this is my first time actually taking a break. When I first started from 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 Boondock season one, which is I guess roughly around nine and a half years ago, to today. I've I've yet to I haven't had any. There was never a break between shows. Like we always rolled into something else. Now the only time we did take a break is when we 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 uh during the writers' strike, and and that's mm. when um we were between seasons when we shot a lot of the uh we shot a web show called the Super Rumble Mix Show, and um. That was the only time we actually took a break, and I think that was maybe like, I think we shot that whole web series maybe in a couple of months.
0: By the way, you know, by the way, I'm, I'm happy that you included the writer's strike in the Story of Catcher Freeman episode. I thought of a new way to display moving pictures on a screen. Of course, it's all abstract since I don't have any actual film or cameras or anything, but I'm going to show Master to my screenplay.
1: And when he reads it, he's going to know this could be a huge production. Nigga, you trying to get off the plantation by selling the script? <laughs> nigga, you ain't even supposed to know how to read. How you gonna sell a script, asshole? Plus, it's a writers' strike, nigga. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's when. That's when it was brewing. Actually, that's when it was like when all the you know when the, all the talk was going on. And then right after, right after we finished that season, that's when it hit. <laughs>
0: wow, a year and a half to develop. Is this? In the, I guess this is because of the drawings and the the heavy animation that goes into making this.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just animation is just a it's just an extensive process, man. I mean. I mean first you got the scripts and then you know the scripts go through through changes. I mean, you know the scripts aren't done overnight and you know and they go through many different drafts and then you got to record those scripts. You got to so you, it means you got to schedule time with all the actors and you can never get them all in at one time. So, you know, you know that usually stretches over a month or so to get everybody in on that episode. Then you have to, you know, you have to <clears throat> you have to create designs for each and everything in that show. And I mean, if there's a cup on the table, if there's a you know anything that moves, and, and or anything that doesn't move is, has to be drawn too. But anything that moves, you know, is even it, it takes even more time because now, like if you have a if you have a book, you have to draw both sides of the book because if someone picks it up, and you know, and they want to if they have to animate that, they need to see what's on both sides or what's on the inside, this kind of thing. A lot of people don't think about that. When you watch a show, you don't realize how many moving parts there are to an animated scene, and each of those things has to be designed and drawn. You're talking about maybe you know roughly 350 to 400 scenes per show, and each of those scenes has designs in it. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So the show has to be storyboarded. It has to be colored. It has to be it has to be drawn. It has to be colored. It has to be animated. And then once the animation is done, it's it's it, it has to be edited together, and it has to be taken through uh you know you know what we call compositing, which is kind of After Effects and touching up stuff digitally and and then we got to mix it, and it's just—it's a lot, <laughs> you know—it's it, a lot, man.
1: You mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me—you mentioned nine and a half years ago, starting Boondock season one. Is that right?
2: Yeah, it's, I think so. somewhere around there. Yeah. So take
1: That's us back my, even my, further than that. Take us back to how you met Aaron Regruder and the production team that became the Boondocks.
2: Yeah, well, it's a funny story, man. I, I um, so. <laughs> well, let me let me let me. Before I got to LA, I was actually um I was actually developing a cartoon series with uh with with uh, Rockefeller Films um with, with state property and Rockefeller Films. So Beanie Siegel had this this uh it's a brilliant idea to me. It was an animated series that he wanted to do. It was called The Playpen, and It was basically the Rockefeller Camp Cute. as babies. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, <laughs> like Muppet Babies. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, something like that. That's so brilliant. So instead like, of that,
1: like the biggie so video,
2: this, so they were in a daycare center that was like a correctional facility. So it was like oh it was like Oz. It was like Oz meets the Rugrats. You know what I'm saying? Um, why did this?
0: Why did this not? I, I want to see this. Dipset well, dip could have been in too. there. And,
2: and, well, what what happened was we were developing it, and then in the midst of us developing it, BD Siegel got arrested for attempted murder. That's so, going to be a you problem. Know, it was, <laughs> Yeah, it, yeah. It's kind of hard to you know make cartoons for kids when you <laughs> you know you, hey, they can't you, say they can't up. say
0: they can't say the creators were not raw. Right. <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> Who else would have been in that playpen?
1: So, Freeway.
2: Oh man, Dipset. Yeah, it was Freeway. It was Young Chris. It was Neef. Chris and Neef. Actually, Young Guns. Yeah, Chris and Neef. Uh, yeah, the Young Guns. Like I remember King this, this era very well. <laughs> yeah, all them guys, man. You know who else was in it? Nori and Capone. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah, Noy and Capone. Get some Hispanic and, viewers. Um, <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so, so Jim, so could you get Jin in there?
1: No, Jim yeah, was with Rough Riders. I'm just kidding. No, no, yeah, Jim. Uh, trying uh, to expand the demographic.
2: So, but no, <laughs> but, but, but what happened was one of the producers, um, the one, the guy that actually hired me to, to work on the playpen, he moved out to L.A. And so I kept in touch with him, and, and you know he was telling me he was like, dude, you got to come out to L.A. because. You know, at the time I was actually living in North Carolina. We were working in New York in New York City, but I was living in North Carolina at the time. So, um, so when he moved out to LA, he convinced he convinced me that I need to be out in LA. I still I still wasn't kind of I wasn't buying it at the time. Dude, I was like, <laughs> I was I was selling bootleg. And I, I was selling any. I was hustling anything and everything you could possibly think of. Hustle man. I like the Nito, dude, I was I was like the Nino Brown of bootleg movies in my in my neighborhood. Like I was like that guy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you couldn't tell me nothing, man. Like, that's where I was going to be. You know what I'm saying? Um, But but the the crazy thing was, like, you know, like I I would hustle and do all this stuff, like, during the day and late nights on the weekend and stuff. But I would come home, and I was constantly writing. Like, I would stay up until 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning writing, drawing, and just developing ideas for stories and characters and stuff like that because that's always what I wanted to do. And um, so what happened was uh, my wife, Kind of forced me to move out because I think uh, the last, (laughs) I guess the last straw was I I know I I remember I got shot at like I was I was out late night somewhere I shouldn't be. Hustling and and then I got shot at and the car got shot up and stuff and she was like all right nigga that's it gonna get out of here what what
0: what DVD what DVD was this over what DVD <laughs> oh, did you, yeah, you know
2: what it was probably somebody that bought it that got a bad movie <laughs> it was just like pissed off about it or some shit
0: oh my but, god uh, Notting, but, Hill. Yeah, but, yeah. Notting Hill get me in. <laughs> Notting Hill <laughs> yeah, I,
2: think, I, mean, I think it was like Titanic no you know it was, I it was I got the hookup
1: exactly <laughs> <laughs> that a cell phone that, movie that,
2: yeah yeah, yeah masterpiece. That's what was hot right there. Yeah, it was. It was I got the hookup. <laughs>
1: that, that's but amazing. I had tons of I got the hookup. I got. I,
2: yeah, yeah. I, that was that was the baddest investment I ever made as a boomer. <laughs> uh, Wait, so so anyways, you,
1: go on. You moved to LA.
2: Yes. Anyways, well, I didn't. I, at the time, I didn't move out to LA yet. What happened was, we 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 came out to LA to visit. And so I was stand with with uh, my producer friend who was actually Jewish, and we shout him there. out. You got to shout him out now.
0: Yeah, because I, I, I'm I'm in the I'm in the room yeah, with the Jewish guy. Another right now. prolific African American <laughs> Jewish uh, nah, nah, connection.
2: His, yeah, his name is Brian Ash. He also worked on the show on Black Dynamite with okay. uh, with this as well. So so anyways, it was. I remember it was a Saturday. Like this. we we when we got there was a it was uh, it was Friday, and the next day it was Saturday it was Sabbath. So he wasn't going anywhere. He was like, well, dude, look, take the car, and just you know. Learn LA because I had never been to LA. So my wife and I got in the car. We started driving, and we saw Melrose. And and you know the first thing I thought of was Melrose Place, the TV show. So I was like, I know that place. Let's drive down that road. <laughs> right. So we, we drive down Melrose. It's not going to end well. I, <laughs> and, and, no, no, no. And I see, I see. I see, well, first I saw the Boondock shirt. I saw like a it was a you know a red. Boondock shirt, a guy was wearing a red boondock shirt. I looked closely and it was Aaron Magruder and I had been a big fan of his anyway. Wow. This is before the Boondock this is before the Boondock show. This is when you know, when the, uh just when the comic strip was popular. And um so I I literally jumped out the car. Like this is like to me, like that was the only person I would want to meet in LA. Like I like I mean, beyond like Steven Spielberg, <laughs> like, you know, any like I would like Aaron Magruder to me and what he represented and he did and that was everything I wanted to do. And and you know, it was just like it was just the oddest coincidence, so I jumped out of the car, and I was like, hey, yo, I do what you do, man. <laughs> well, at least I'm trying to. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's my name, and, and you know, I, just, I was working on it. I just ran down my whole resume, which wasn't shit at the time. I, I sell bootleg movies, and, uh, and I, I was working with BD Siegel. He trying to kill somebody, so I can't do that now, and, um, and I need a job.
3: <laughs>
2: he was like, this you're you hired." <laughs> <laughs> and, uh... You know, it was crazy but he he actually for some reason we he, he gave me his number like he, we exchanged information and so i emailed him some samples of my work and stuff that i was doing and he was like all right like i'm I'm in the process of trying to get the boondocks on at fox he was like i, I want to try to get you i want you to help me on the, on the comic strip until the show picks up and I was like all right cool so i have enough reason for me to move out so we packed up everything man and moved out to la and um i started working on the comic strip and then and then the, the show the the show fell through fox didn't pick it up and so you know he was like really depressed and and we I mean we would do we were like damn like because I was you know I was I mean that, I mean I mean any I think everybody wanted to see the Boondocks animated man like that was like you know I mean it just made sense but Fox just wasn't the place for it man I mean and the first pilot that was done it was it was real watered down it was not even like it wasn't half of what you're seeing on the Swim and it was still too much for Fox so um so at the time man you know we were thinking that that you know it just wasn't going to happen so we just. We got into doing the strip, and then Adult Swim picked the show up. Like, like maybe two or three weeks later, after I think Fox turned it down. Did, did and, you um?
0: Did you all party on that night?
2: Oh man, it was yeah, it was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was on and popping, man. Like we yeah we yeah it was it was a it was a it was a good time, man. But it was just you know at the time we were doing when we first started out, we were doing the the, the comic strip and the show at the same time, and eventually we had to let the strip go because the show was just it was just taking too much. <laughs> you know, it was just. much to balance both.
1: One thing that was incredible about the show is that it dealt with current events in such a smart and timely way. It almost kind of seemed like the New York Times editorial page of like the black and urban community. What was that feeling like to be able to know that all right something just happened and people are going to be looking to us. What are we going to do to respond?
2: Oh man it, it was it was great. It was great man. I remember we did a um We did a strip about Steve Stout smoking crack, and I remember he called. He called like the next day it hit, but he was actually flattered, and it's hilarious because most of these people like. I mean, I mean, that's the beauty of doing a comic strip is because you can you can tackle current events and you can you can get at issues or people immediately. But the funny thing is, they get back at you immediately (laughs) too. Like as soon as the stuff hits, like you know. But but what's funny is like more more so. I would say more people were flattered then then were offended by the comic strip but i don't know what it is but you know there's something that is, there's something i don't know something about the context of the newspaper doing a comic strip is just people accept it a little bit differently but that was the beauty of doing the strip like with the show we couldn't we couldn't be so topical you know so we had to find kind of like these evergreen ideas or or you know you know find the things that that you know weren't so set in that particular time because you know and animation taken and the Boondocks was taken, almost two years to make actually longer than Black Dynamite. So you figure anything that's hot now, two years from now, it's dead. Especially with the internet, like everything is, you know, you guys got to be fresh and right on time. But um, that was that was the biggest challenge, I would say. You know, um, I know that wasn't your question, but that that's kind of, you know, that was that was the biggest difference between the strip and doing the show. You know what I mean? Is, is we couldn't stay that topical. Listen, Um,
1: we're in election season, so you can give me any answer you want, regardless of the question I ask you. Just know that.
2: All right. (laughs) Yeah. What? That's,
0: that's really funny. <laughs> what, I mean hey we, we've been watching it for yeah, weeks. Hey, we, we are in Washington DC. You know what I'm saying? So so we're Right
3: right right. We're, we're used to
0: that. We're drowning this nonsense. My one of my favorite things about the strip is when I would check the paper. I would read the strip also when I was in when I was when I would get up in in high school and I read it all throughout college. I went to University of Maryland where he where he started the strip. Shout the diamond back. But I, I love when I would would check the Washington Post and basically it was like Aaron Magruder had been put on timeout. And they they were like they're like he they're like we're not going to be printing this, you saying (laughs) because because of something he said about Bush and 9-11. But so often I'd check and he and he'd be put on timeout and then he'd come back and it was and it was a funny relationship that he had with the paper. But I love the fact that they printed it anyway because it was ridiculous. Some days I was reading it, I was like, I can't believe that there's this strip a black social commentary that I guarantee you most people are not even looking at. I'm like, it's I'm like, like five rows above you're family like, circus. Yeah. yeah. Five rows in Doonesbury sitting near sitting near <laughs> <Right. Doonesbury, laughs> you know what I'm saying. And I'm just like, I'm like, this is brilliant. And I mean, I, I do want to know how are you all perceive? How are you all accepted out in Los Angeles? Because the African-American community over here, and whites, yeah. they they uh, they love, they definitely love the boondocks, and they definitely love Black Dynamite. You got intellectual black people on your nuts. That's basically, that's basically what I'm trying to get get at.
2: <laughs> well, uh, well, first of all, you know, Aaron Magruder is, is a genius. Like, I mean, I, I learned so much from him. Like, he, he just has a way, man, of, of, you know, like, translating these, these, like, political, um, you know, social and political, I mean, you know, making social and political satire, but he does it in such a way. You know the thing you told me, when he first started doing the strip is he was trying to figure out a way to basically like sell Farrakhan philosophies through a very cute, acceptable package. And and so when you when you look at Huey or you look at the characters the way they're drawn, they're really cute. You know what I'm saying? Like they got these big anime eyes and and they just really like it, it you know, they just kinda of have like a like a warm look. Even with Huey scowl, like there's something about him that kind of draws you in. He's and, a cute and, little kid and makes you feel yeah, and and the fact that he's a kid, but I'm saying, but there was, a, but you know, there was actually a method to the to the madness. Like, and and he was right, man. I I mean, I've never seen that before. You know, I've never seen anyone say the things that he's saying in the newspaper and deliver it the way that he delivers it. But what you're looking at is it contrasted so much. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I mean, because when you look at when you look at like political cartoons, nothing. You never see anything that looks like what what he was doing in the Boonocks, and that's what he was doing. He was doing political cartooning. You know, um. But yeah, man, he's, he's, a, I mean, you know, without saying, I mean, the dude a genius, man. And I, I learned as much as I could while I was around him. And I I spent a lot of time around him. I mean, I was literally like, you know, his right-hand man, you know, and, um, and I, you know, Black Dynamite is, to me, is an entirely different beast. Like, I think the voice is, is, is completely different. Like, yes, you know, the tone of the comedy is, is similar, but I think that, you know, I, I think, I think they're entirely two different shows, you know, um, and and you know that's why I I, I, I you know I, I say that what he was doing with with Boondocks is it, to me is like I I can't compare anything I've done yet to what <laughs> what you know what he was able to uh, pull off with Boondocks like that was just an amazing thing of its in its own.
0: Why why is a show like this important for black people?
2: Um. Well, number one, because. Uh, <laughs> I think it's good to have any show where you can actually even see black people on screen because it's, it's rare. uh, You know, I mean, it's rare that you see, especially, you know, black people that are, that are empowered. Like the, the problem that I have with a lot of, with a lot of black shows is whenever they, whenever they have a male lead, they usually castrate them. You know what I'm saying? They usually take the nuts off. Like they, you never see a guy like black dynamite who's, who's kicking ass and taking names. You know what I'm saying? Like he's just, He's to me. It's important that we have at least one black superhero, you know, on the air. You know, because you, you, it's just it's just so rare to have it. You know Wait a what second. I mean? you,
0: um, you haven't seen Alex Cross yet.
2: Alex, terrible. <laughs> I don't know if you saw what I tweeted, but I, <laughs> I tweeted a uh, Alex Cross dresser. <laughs> <Perry as> Alex. <laughs> I'm, I'm
0: I'm sure I'm sure he would have loved that. I'm sure he would. Yeah, yeah.
2: But it's true though. You know, that's what he does yeah man you know i mean for that for that reason alone i think it's i think it's it's very important you know
0: ladies and gentlemen this is carl jones the creator of the animated series black dynamite and executive producer carl tell the people when you can see black
1: dynamite on adult swim and where they can follow you on twitter as yes. well yes
2: Okay, yeah, you can you can watch Black Dynamite the animated series on Adult Swim on Sunday nights at eleven thirty and also on Saturday nights, I believe at eleven thirty as well. It's either eleven or eleven thirty on Saturday nights. Yes. But yeah, but um yeah, and uh you can follow me on Twitter at at I am Carl Jones and uh, yeah. And,
0: and and also special shout out to Monica who helped arrange this interview. So
2: Oh yeah, man, yeah. Yeah, my yeah, yeah, big ups to, to my wife Monica. She's also a producer on the show. And uh, the only reason why this show got done. <laughs> yeah,
0: she forced, uh, to, she forced you to move to L.A.
2: So. Oh, man. Yeah, that and just, I'm saying, just, just the production itself. Like, just pushing it along, man. Because it's it's a beast, man. It's a lot of people to, you know, it's just a, lot, a lot to manage.
1: MadcapDC.org. On Twitter and Facebook at MadcapDC. Dino